Good morning. That music will get you going if you weren't awake already. Um, it's good to be together this morning. Glad that you're here to worship with us and spend time together uh, this morning. And at this time, as Ashley said, this is when our kids are headed out to children's church. If you've got kids those ages, they're headed that direction. We've also got a nursery uh, over there in that building and a cry room in the back. So all kinds of, of opportunities if you need to, to take advantage of any of that this morning. Uh, when I was probably somewhere in middle school, rage, junior high kind of age range, somewhere in there, we were at church one Sunday morning, and I was waiting after church for my parents to finish talking, as I usually found myself doing after Sunday mornings. <laughs> and I was in the church. We had kind of basically this like front yard sort of to our church building. So I was out there somewhere, and I bent down and was basically kneeling on the ground, tying my shoe, when my brother came up behind me and, and just kind of tapped me on the head. You know, just, just enough to not do anything, but just be really annoying if it was your sibling that did it to you, right? And so I very politely, I'm sure, told him, Chris, stop. So right after I said it, he did it again. So now I'm starting to get more agitated. And so I said, Chris, stop. He did it again. So this time, I'm like, my tone, I'm sure, had changed completely. Like, Christopher, if you do not stop it, I'm going to stand up. And before I could finish, he did it again. And so I stand up ready to go. I'm not going to like punch him at church. You know, I'd only push him or something. But I stand up just, just ready to go. And I look up and it's not Chris, my brother. It's Edward, one of our church elders, <laughs> who is now laughing hysterically. <laughs> uh, but I have this moment of like, <gasps> I've, I've been exposed, right? <laughs> I would never talk that way to Edward. You only use that tone for people that you really love and care about, right? <laughs> those, that's the kind of tone you reserve for those people at home. Other people can't hear that tone of, of voice that I use. I've, I've been exposed. So in our story this morning, I think the Israelites have a similar moment where they kind of have this, <gasps> we've We've been exposed moment. They realize that, that God, that Samuel, their leader, recognized their motivations, their heart, what has led them to this point that we're going to come to later in the, in the sermon. And they have this moment of, we've been exposed. This is bad. What do we do now? So that's where we're headed. Um, before we get there, we are, we're beginning a new series this week called Ghost Stories. And I don't remember the order of, of how all this came about, but I started kind of thinking about this theme in relation, of course, to kind of fall. It's kind of the season for ghost stories, scary stories culturally. And I started thinking there's, there's a lot of ghost stories in Scripture, actually. Um, and so as I started thinking uh, and, and looking, there's, there's several really concentrated here in First Samuel. First Samuel is a book of, of stories. Uh, this same period of time is covered actually elsewhere in the Old Testament, like in First Chronicles. Uh, but while First Chronicles is more of a look at kind of the details and, and kind of from a kingdom perspective what happens to Israel, First Samuel digs into the, the people uh, and the motivations and, and their decisions and how they arrive at their decisions and, and the impact of their decisions. And so it's a, it's a book of, of stories, stories of, of people. And interspersed in those stories, then there's some supernatural stuff and some ghost stories uh, that, that seem to fall really, I think, a kind of impactful times in the narrative of the book, 
but they also have, I think, important messages and lessons for us today. So we're going to be looking at some of those stories over the next few weeks. Admittedly, uh, and I said this in the email, if you get our emails, the midweek emails we send out, this first narrative is going to stretch the limits of the ghost stories motif a little bit. Um, but it's my own made-up parameters, so I figured I can break them a little bit for the first week. So, um, so that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, now, by the time that we are going to pick up the narrative in 1 Samuel, we're going to be, if you want to turn, we're going to be primarily and well, uh, all um, exclusively in 1 Samuel 8 and 12 this morning. So if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to get there in just a minute. I'm just going to read a couple of, of short kind of excerpts from 1 Samuel 8 before we read a, a longer chunk in 1 Samuel 12. Uh, so we've, we've skipped the, the first seven chapters of the book because we're not going to really do kind of a, a, an in-depth study of the whole book. We're just kind of dropping down at some key points and some key stories. So by the time we're going to pick up with this story, Samuel is an old man, and he's ready to retire. Uh, and so it's time for him to kind of hand off leadership to, to someone else. And he has been leading Israel with, with dignity and integrity for many years. But now as he's ready to hand off leadership to someone else, hopefully to his sons, he's hoping. Uh, the problem is his sons are not great. Uh, and, and they're probably not going to be best suited for leadership in the way that Samuel has been. Uh, interestingly enough, Samuel himself became Israel's leader because the sons of the previous leader, Eli, were not great either. The, the narrator, narrator in 1 Samuel refers to them as scoundrels. You're just, they're not great guys. Kind of get this picture of them as just kind of spoiled by their dad's position and influence and leadership. So they just kind of thought they can take whatever they want. They're corrupt. Uh, and they just are, are not suited for leadership. And so that's how Samuel himself becomes leader instead of, of Eli's sons. But when it's time for Samuel to hand over leadership to someone else, there's no clear alternative to Samuel, uh, to Samuel's dishonest and corrupt sons. But the Israelite leaders, they have an idea. And so they come to Samuel and they say, look, guy, you're getting old. Which is a great way to begin a discussion, right? <laughs> uh, but that's literally what they say. This is, we're going to pick up now. This is 1 Samuel 8, 5. This one's going to be on the screen. They say, you are old. And your sons do not follow your ways. Let's just get the facts out there and get, just get right into it. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. They come to Samuel. They say, look, we recognize you're in kind of a tough space here. You're getting old. It's time for you to do something else. But your sons, eh, they're not really up for this. Uh, but we've been seeing these, these other people have success with kings, and we want to look like everybody else. We want what all these other people have. Uh, up to this point in their history, Israel as a, as a nation, as a people, has been led by succession of, of priests and judges, leaders. Uh, Samuel kind of falls in line with that way of, of kind of the, the way that Israel has, has operated. But up to now... They haven't really had a, a, a really structured system of, of gov governance or anything like that. But now some of the Israelite people are looking at the success that these other groups are having with this kind of monarchy-type model. And they say, yeah, we want, we want that. It'd be good if we could have that. We want to be like everybody else. 
And I think we find that throughout history, a great many mistakes have been made in the name of wanting to look like everyone else. Uh, Many sins have been committed because of a desire to have what others have. God has always called his people to be holy. Holy literally means set apart uh, or different. And so generations before this story, when, when God gives Moses the law and he tells Moses, I want you to proclaim to the people that you are to be holy because I, your Lord, am holy, he is in essence telling them you are to be different because I am different. Uh, that's, that's kind of the grand idea of this whole Israel as the chosen nation thing, uh, that, that Israel would be set apart, that Israel would be different, look different, function differently because the God that they serve is different than the God that all the other nations are serving, than the gods that all the other nations are serving. That's the whole idea uh, behind what God is doing in, in his covenant relationship with Israel. Their being called out then was both for their own benefit and for the benefit of others, so that the rest of the world would be blessed through them, that they would be this light, uh, God's light in the world, to show the rest of the world who God was and how he was different. And our holiness today, I think, is no different in terms of being different. Uh, I know then that the concept of of standing out, um, I think, comes with some connotations and some imagery for some of us today. Some of that may be positive. Some of it may even be negative. Uh, For instance, I think that for some, uh, some may view this as through this kind of lens that that Christians have have often stood out from others in uh, embarrassing or maybe even harmful ways. And so sometimes we don't want to be attached with the same perceptions or, or labels that other Christians have garnered, maybe some uh, from misguided perceptions or maybe some that have been uh, put on some of us for, for legitimate reasons. Uh, for some, then, though Christians have not looked distinctive enough in certain areas of, of personal interest. But our call to stand out is no less important today, both for our own benefit and for the benefit of others. God has repeatedly, God's people have repeatedly throughout history, though, been tempted with this desire to look like everyone else. We have wanted to fit in a world where we were supposed to stand out, to be citizens in a world in which we are supposed to look like foreigners. But our world is in desperate need of people who are noticeably set apart from the patterns of this world. In a world bent On greed, are we a people who stand out because of our self-control? In a world crippled by fear, are we a people who stand out because of our peace? In a world that, that vilifies neighbors, are we a people who stand out because of our love for them? In a world that is is burdened and encumbered by busyness, are we a people who stand out because of our patience, because of our long suffering? I could keep going, but, but you get the idea. That the idea of our, our being set apart is supposed to produce within us this, this fruit of the Spirit, give us this mindset, this, this view of the world, this attitude as we go through life that's supposed to be in, in direct contrast to the ways and the spirit of the world. 
And, and if that, the more that that is seen within us, the greater it is for our own spiritual development and the more of a light we are to those around us. Uh, it turns out that this request for a king didn't sit too well with Samuel, which makes sense. Uh, I think his, his objections seem to be almost personal as much as they are theological, and, and God kind of recognizes this. And so God comes to Samuel and he says, look, man, don't worry about it. Um, and then he gives this line. I think God is the originator of this line. He says, it's not you, it's me. Uh, he says, uh, they're, they're not rejecting you, don't worry. They're just rejecting me. They're rejecting me as their king, but it's okay. I'm used to it. It's happened many times before. <laughs> I know the drill. I know how this works. Uh, so he tells Samuel, he says, here's, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to listen to him. Hear him out. Let them get it out of their system. <laughs> uh, listen to what they're saying. But I want you to tell them what it's going to be like if they have a king ruling over them. He says, I want you to tell them the rights that that king is going to claim over them if they have a king ruling over them. Uh, because God knows that having a king looks great when you only see the fun parts. Uh, but it may be less fun when you are then under the rule of that king on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I think it's kind of like owning a boat. Uh, that it's fun when you're speeding across the lake, but, but then you have to deal with the upkeep and the maintenance and the ongoing cost of what boat ownership really is like. It's fun when you see him out on the water, but, but you've got to take that boat home with you. Right, Chris? Kayaks are easier, right? <laughs> um, so, plug for Chris's kayaks. <laughs> um, and it's the same thing with the king. It's fun when you've got a king leading you out in battle, and he's winning your wars for you and doing all this stuff, and you're, you're getting all this stuff from other nations that you take in battle, but then you've got to go home with that king, and the king is taking some of your stuff, and the king is bringing in all the sons and daughters from the nation to work for him and to do all of his stuff in his palace, and he's taking your crops to feed all the people in his palace and store up his own stuff, and now all of a sudden the thing that seemed fun at once has become a burden with the upkeep and the maintenance and the costs that can be just overwhelming. And so that's what Samuel tells the Israelites, minus probably the boat analogy. That part's not in there, at least. <laughs> he says, look, this is what it's going to be like to have a king. He even goes so far as to tell them, you yourselves will become his slaves, and then you'll cry out to God, but the Lord will not answer you. And so the people say, never mind, no more slavery for us. We've been there, we've done that, we're good, we're sorry. What else do you have in mind? Except not really, because that wouldn't be interesting and that's never the way the story goes. <laughs> uh, they actually refused to listen to Samuel and said instead, this is in 1 Samuel 8, picking up in 19, no, exclamation point. You can almost hear them stomping their feet. Uh, maybe putting their fingers in their ears, refusing to listen to Samuel like they're just making noise. Uh, no, 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 no. I, we don't want to hear it. Stop talking. We want a king over us. We've decided this is what we need. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Catch that last part. They want someone. That we, we know this may come at some cost. Uh, we need someone who's going to go fight our battles for us. Uh, maybe that turns somewhere a little personally, but 
uh, how many times are we looking for things because I, don't, I can't mess with this right now, right? I just need something, someone else who's going to take care of this. Uh, we need someone who's going to lead us, go out before us, and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. God basically says, fine, you want to act like petulant children? <laughs> Uh, you want to refuse to listen to what I'm telling you? All right, that's fine. Here, you can have a king. Because some people aren't going to learn by you simply telling them, right? They've got to experience failure for themselves. Right? You, can, you can tell them, but at some point they're just going to have to do it, mess up, and learn on their own. Uh, so I think, you know, in keeping with this idea of ghost stories, which are inherently supposed to be, you know, kind of scary, uh, I think the scary part about this story up to this point, at least, is that sometimes asking God for stuff, um, when we, sometimes when we ask God for stuff, he gives us exactly what we want or what we think we need. Um, and when that happens, uh, we seem to assume it's because it's God's will or what God wants for us. But it may just be based on our own stubbornness and inability to listen to anyone or anything else. And God says, all right, fine. You think that's the best direction to go? I'll let you see where that ends up. As one writer said, God's granting our request may not be a sign of his favor, but of our obstinacy. So, Samuel goes about this process then of anointing a man named Saul to be Israel's king. If you fast forward into chapter 12, uh, Samuel is basically giving his, his farewell speech as he's going to turn the reins of leadership over to Saul. And here is where we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 12, verse 12. If you want to turn there with us, uh, this part isn't going to be on the screen. So again, 1 Samuel 12, we're going to read 12 through 22. This is where this idea of, of ghost gods comes into play and where we see Israel kind of have this moment of, oh no, we've been exposed. What do we do now? So, 1 Samuel 12, verse 12. So Samuel has kind of given, uh, right before this, a recap of of what has gone on with with the Israelites' ancestors and how they have repeatedly turned away from God and then come back, turned away, come back. God has raised up these, these other leaders each time they've turned away and then cried out. So then he says, but you... When you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving toward you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, And if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. This is some foreshadowing, basically, for what's about to come. Now then, Samuel says, all right, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you that that God and I, we, we see what's going on. He says, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? In other words, is it not the dry season? We had the rains, crops have come, now it's dry season, it's time to harvest. So he says, is it not the harvest 
uh, is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, which would be very unexpected, especially on command. And you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. Or you might say they stood exposed. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God and your serv- uh, for your servants so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. In other words, all right, we get it, we recognize it, we messed up, we're, we're bad people, we've done all kinds of bad stuff, and now you can just add this to the list. We asked for a king, we shouldn't have done it, we're sorry, we take it back. <laughs> uh, let's just redo that. Uh, Samuel replies then, kind of, you can sense maybe a little bit of uh, uh, sort of a tenderness now towards the people in some way, but in another way he says, nope, like this is the, this is the choice you made, you're going to have to live with it. He says, no, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. You're right. You're evil people. Uh, But do not turn away evil people's hearts. They have done evil. Uh, Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. This is where in the message translation... Uh, instead of saying, do not chase after idols, you know, that's what it says, do not turn away after useless idols, Eugene Peterson in the message says, don't chase after ghost gods. There's nothing to them. They can't help you. This idea of chasing idols, about, of chasing things that, that, that we think are going to rescue us just ends up like chasing smoke or vapor, uh, something that, that we, we, can, we think we can see there, but then the minute you go chasing after it, it, it vanishes, it disappears. Samuel says to them, they can't rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Uh, Israel's problem wasn't that they wanted to put in place an inherently evil system. There wasn't anything inherently evil about this this governance system of having a king. In fact, God knew all the way back when he gave the law to Moses that this day would come. And so within the law, there were stipulations around, hey, when this, if if this time comes, when Israel asks for a king, here's who can be king, here's who you are to choose from, and here's what the king can and can't do. God has anticipated this day for some time because he knew that at some point this day was coming. Uh, The problem isn't necessarily simply that they wanted a king. The problem is that they wanted a king in order to save them. They wanted a king to rescue them. They wanted a king who would go out and fight their battles for them. They are substituting God with a king. And in doing so, they have made the king an idol or a ghost god. And the problem with chasing ghosts is that there's simply nothing there. Uh, that's not a statement about paranormal activity and its relevance or, or truth. It's simply a statement that when we go chasing after things that we think are there, it's like chasing vapor. It's like chasing something that's simply going to disappear in front of us. 
And there is a long and rich history in the Old Testament uh, of God's people turning away from him, getting in trouble, calling out to God, God providing relief, God providing a leader to rise up and rescue them. And, and the Old Testament is just that on repeat, over and over and over and over again. The difference this time is that the people don't call out to God hoping that he will rescue them. They cry out to God hoping for a king who will rescue them. They cry out to God already with the answer in mind of, all right, God, here's what we need. Here's what we want to do. We want to go this direction instead. They've already got the answer in mind instead of simply crying out to God for him to provide one. Sometimes when things aren't going well, I think we simply want God to rubber stamp our own idea of a way out. And anytime we turn to something or someone besides God as our means of rescue, we subtly substitute that thing for God, and we create for ourselves a ghost God, a God who will surely vanish the moment that we really need it. Uh, we're going to close. I want you to look at that, that last verse, verse 22, that, that I read earlier one more time as we close. So after saying all this that he's done, he says, yes, you've done something evil, uh, but, you know, you, I still want you to follow. You, you know, if, 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 you, if you and your king follow God, this, this can all work out. It can be okay, uh, knowing that that's probably not going to happen. But then he says, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Notice the contrast between idols, between ghost gods and God that Samuel is making here. And he's saying that when you go chasing after any of this other stuff, inevitably that thing is going to let you down. Either because it itself or that person or that someone itself has corrupted motivations or heart or whatever, or just because it's simply not going to be there or in some way it is going to let you down or betray you or when that moment comes that you really need it, when you need that foundational aspect of, of something that you know you can count on and lead in in a time of difficulty, in a time of trial, in a time when you need to know I can go to this thing and this thing is going to be there. If you're counting on that to be anything but God, then you're going to end up slipping and falling and being disappointed. But God, he says, God will be there because it is in God's very nature not to reject you, not to go against you, and to be there for you regardless. Uh, so yeah, if you want to turn your back on God, uh, even if you cry out to them, he may not answer you for a little bit. <laughs> you may have to live with the consequences of some of what you've done, Samuel says to him. But he says, but it is within God's very nature not to leave you. And that separates him completely from all these other things that you're going to try to chase in your life. Uh, each Sunday we come around the table to remember and to celebrate our King Jesus, who came and lived for us, died for us, and was resurrected as a means of, of establishing our covenant relationship with God. And we have hope and we have confidence in our relationship with him because of Jesus. And so as we, as we sing about the, the forever reign of God in this next song, may we remember our call to be set apart as people living for him. And may we look ahead to our time around the table in communion when we celebrate and remember Jesus and the hope of eternity that we have in him and our challenge uh, to be people who are called out, who are different uh, because of our relationship to Christ.
So would you stand, we'll sing together, uh, and then we'll pray our prayer of confession together as we come around the table. confession together and I'll pray the parts in white and together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. 
Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. 